I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Rachel. She has MS. Let's talk about it. going to be having a lovely conversation today with Rachel, um, and I already know the conversation is going to be lovely because Rachel showed up to the recording wearing a piece of her fucking merch. That is sick. That's pretty cool. Boys. Right? Isn't that cool? I love I love it. I love it. Rachel, thank you for buying our merch, and also, I got to put this out there, guys. I also know this. Um, Rachel's dad's probably listening, so let's uh, let's keep the language to something reasonable and 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 fucking respectful, all right? As we as we typically do on the <laughs> yeah, show. You yes. Fuck, you fucking hear me? <laughs> yes. Loud and clear. I hear you. Um um also just side note, if anybody else wants to like fast track their way onto the podcast, they can also buy our merch. <laughs> <laughs> right? Rachel, I'm so sorry. We we literally just turned your episode into a plug for our merch. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. It's preferential, merch. preferential treatment. shop.sickboypodcast.com. <laughs> there you go. Thank well, you. that's not what we're here to talk about we're uh, we're here to talk to rachel um a young woman who is dealing with ms and um rachel when i read your when i read your application the thing that stuck out to me was um at the very top you said my name is rachel i am 22 years old and three years ago i was released from saint michael's hospital in toronto with a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis Three years ago. So you were diagnosed at a very young age. Super bizarre. Like probably like my neurologist said I was like the youngest person she's ever seen with it. It doesn't usually hit young people. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've, we talked to somebody, I feel like we talked to somebody in the early days of doing the podcast with MS who was like maybe in her early thirties. And I feel like that was even like, I'm really young. For yeah. being diagnosed yeah. with MS. And we so we have we have in the past talked to someone that was in their twenties who who had it as well. But again, it's like it's still it's still staggering to hear mm-hmm. someone who's like, Oh, I was nineteen when I got diagnosed. Like that's a fucking that's wild. I didn't Do even you, know what it was before I got diagnosed. Like they said MS and I'm like, What? Like I had no I didn't obviously now I've met people with it, but I didn't even know it was like a thing. Right. Wait, wait, so I haven't even the, really heard of it. When when the the neurologist was like um, I'm sorry to say, but you have MS. Were you just like, what's that? Well, so funny. I was actually sort of relieved. Like, it was funny. The neurologist like came into the room. Um, and at this point, like it was COVID. So my mom couldn't be with me, but the neurologist, like she came into the hospital room and she sat on the bed with me and she was like, we need to call your mom. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like starting to freak out. But at this point I had been going like months without a diagnosis. I was just like sitting in a hospital waiting and the doctor had said to me, like, if we can't figure this out, like, next steps would just be chemotherapy to try and, like, bring down some of the inflammation, try to get in your body. Like, we knew there was inflammation, but we didn't know what it was. Whoa. So when she came in and said MS, it was honestly, like, I was kind of happy. Not happy to have MS, but I was like, oh, thank God, I finally have, like, a diagnosis. And then, therefore, we can get, like, a treatment. Because up until that point, it had been, like, about a year of us just not knowing what was mm. going on with me. What was right. running was a bit through of a your relief. mind? What was running through your mind about like other stuff, like what it could p- potentially be? Because like we Google threw a bunch of stuff out. Yeah, so they threw a bunch of stuff out. Like they could not figure it out. I went to, I had three different neurologists um, take a look at me, like on the like the early onset, and all three of them looked at me and said, like, I don't know what's going on with you, but like we, in our opinion, like you will not walk again. So like I respectfully parted ways with all three of them. And then the fourth <laughs> neurologist that I saw, yeah, I was like, I'm You're like gonna nah, I think what's coming out of your mouth is bullshit. So I will move. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm 19. I'm not really gonna like accept that answer. Like I remember the last one that I saw, he was like, Yeah, like I don't really know what's going on with you, but like come back to us if your bladder stops working. And I was like, like, so oh. no. Um <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> So then we got this new neurologist and she was awesome and is awesome. I still have her. But yeah, she 
was like, maybe it's lupus. Maybe it's like all these random, like we knew it was, we thought it was autoimmune, but she had thrown out like all these random Mm. diseases. So when we found out MS, it was like a bit of a relief. Okay. So, okay. This, this is, man, what a wild like thing to go through as a, as a teenager, you know, like as, as a, as an almost not teenager, uh, uh, you, you're, you're, were you graduated high school at this point? I was. So I was in between. It was like it happened to me the summer in between first year and second year university. Okay, got you. Mm. Um, yeah. Definitely not what you would typically want to be fucking around with and worrying about in your uh, no. your first year university. Yeah. Um, no. I, I would love to kind of just go back a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about like what was life prior to MS even being remotely mentioned in your life? Like before you even knew what MS was? What was your life like? And what was the, like, what was the onset? What were the early signs? Yeah. Like, how did s- things start to change in your 19th year where you started yeah. to go, what the fuck's going on with me? For sure. So, um, yeah, what I was, yeah, just finished my first year of university. We were spending our summer, like, at our family's cottage when it all happened. So I was working a summer job. Um, life was pretty normal. I was a political science major. So, like, the original goal was going to be to be a lawyer. So I was at the University of Guelph, but then like working my summer job, like in between first and second year. Um, I would say I was always like decently active, not super active. Like I didn't, I don't know. I would go to the gym, but I didn't pay too much attention to my body or like what it could do or like appreciate my body all that much. But I was like a regular, you know, a regular 19 year old. Um, so yeah, just working, hanging out with friends, all that fun stuff, hoping to become a lawyer. And then it was like in the summer, it was around end of June my feet started to feel kind of numb, sort of like pins. Like, you know, when you sit cross-legged for a little while and you get like, your foot feels like it's falling asleep. Yeah, totally. So it was like that all the time. And it was just in my feet. And I was like, oh, this is bizarre. And I thought to myself, like, maybe I'm just dehydrated. So I would start drinking a lot more water because it was summer. So I was like, this might just be like, it's hot. Like, this is bizarre. So it lasted for about six days. And I was like, okay, this is not going away. And it's starting to get annoying. Mm -hmm. So I went to just the local hospital in Peterborough. So PRHC. And they were like, it sounds like sciatica. Like that's a symptom, which again happens totally. to older people. But right. they're like, yeah, maybe it's like your sciatic nerve. They were like, just when you're at work, try not to like bend, lift, twist, like just, you know, modify your duties at work. I'm like, okay, perfect. So I go back to work. Like it's still numb. I'm still like annoyed. So I'm like, maybe I'll try massage therapy. That didn't do anything. And then on this is, so this was like when shit really hit the fan. I have it written down here. It was July 23rd. Um, I think 2020. Yeah. July 20. 23rd 2020 i woke up just completely numb belly button down like couldn't feel anything and Whoa. had zero mobility oh my god like, no mobility at all so I from could, tingling like, in the feet to, to i that, can't yeah wow. I, can't. I mean like i mean just for the for the for the tingling was it like i i mean i think we all know that sensation of like you yeah. slept on your arm wrong and you wake mm-hmm. up and your fucking hands just tingling and you can't really feel it but that tingling i don't know about you guys that tingling sensation is not the kind of tingling sensation I like. There's a very specific no. tingle sensation that I think we all know is nice, but the tingle that sensation... That is neither here nor there. That's it, right. Wait, but, wait, but wait the, what the, are you talking about? It's a little tingle in your... Like, when you get a tingle in your pants, like that, that that's, a, that's a good tingle. The tingle of a sleepy, like thanks for defining. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I thanks I'm for not defining. Sure totally following. Thanks the for defining the good tingle oh, versus God the takes a boner, Brian. When you get a boner, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really get pins and needles in the tip of my dick. <laughs> all right, all right. Fuck sakes. So when you when you're when you're like arm falls asleep or whatever, that is a personally, I fucking hate that feeling. Like that is a that is so it is so uncomfortable. The the like. This like when your hands asleep or your foot's asleep or your legs asleep, was that that tingling that was that you were feeling? Was it consistent? Like the you know for whatever a few days? Yeah, ne- it was not- all, yeah for Whoa. that whole time it was like oh, that. So that's why I ended up like sakes. that's why I went to the hospital and they were like, oh, it's probably sciatica, and I'm like, oh, I hear that that sucks. So yeah, I'm mm. sure that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and now when, the morning that I sorry. sorry yeah go ahead go ahead the morning that I woke up like like with my mobility gone it wasn't even numbness and tingling anymore it was like say you had touched my foot i could feel that there was like pressure there but i couldn't tell you if your hand was cold warm like i couldn't right. tell you the tech like if you touched me with something fuzzy or something like rough i pr- i couldn't have told you like what okay it. okay Fuck, so the tingling had kind of gone away it was just numb well it's crazy point. because like initially 
being dehydrated like that's a i mean that's a good good assumption like a pretty safe yeah. bet to say like just drink some how guys how often is just drinking water the solution to problems? <laughs> I mean, all like, the time. Like right? far more than, <laughs> far than more I think than most think. people yeah. would think. Yeah. yeah. But, but water's important. But <laughs> when you wake up and you're numb from your belly button down, um, water. Water. a cool water. glass of water isn't going to do shit. No. Yeah. No, no. definitely not. Yeah. But my wishful thinking, oh, maybe I'm just like dehydrated. Anyway, so then <laughs> I was like, well, you know, like Mom, this could be happening. Water. Can you give me a glass of water? Lots, like a lot. I literally can't feel below my belly. I, don't know what's I need like gallons. I'm feeling gallons. paralyzed from the waist down. I think I need a glass of H2O. <laughs> Big tall one. So I could like hobble sort of, but not really. Like I, I got up like sitting on the edge of my bed and I remember being like, oh God, um, this is not good. Like, this is very scary. And my legs would sort of like, if I tried to stand up, my legs would just like buckle and then I'd like end up on the floor. So, oh, wow. which we later found out was because with MS, it messes with your proprioception. So basically nothing was telling my legs not to do that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but my brother comes in and he's like, okay, he had to like carry me to the hospital and I'm still in my wishful thinking mode. I'm like, I will see you tonight. Like he couldn't come in cause COVID. But he drops me off. I'm like, yeah, come back and get me probably in like eight hours, like long wait times. But like, I will see you tonight. Like the severity of the situation still had not hit me. Mm-hmm. I was like still convinced I was going to like come home that night and like they were going to figure this out. And it was all going to be totally fine. Mm. It was once I had seen like three or four doctors at PRHC that I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not coming home tonight. Like maybe this is actually like decently serious. So I ended up staying at PRHC for 15 days. And at the end of the 15 days, no one could figure it out. Like still at this point, no one had any idea. They had called several different neurologists in from Toronto and they were all just like, we don't know what's going on with her. Was the MS, was the fact that they couldn't tell that it was MS, like was it because of how young you are? They just really weren't investigating Mm. that route because they were like, you're 19. There's no way. Yes. That and because it was such an aggressive, bizarre onset, like this is not usually how MS comes on, at least from what I've heard, like typically like it's a bit of a slower, like you'll see symptoms kind of develop and then you'll like go talk to your doctor and they're like, oh, you have MS. Like most people don't just like lose mobility with MS completely. Usually you like, usually with MS, it's like a progressive disease for the most part. So like you'll get it. And then over time you get worse and worse and worse. But for me, Mm -hmm. it was like, I was just like the worst it could get right off the the bat. when you're when you're there for 15 days like were you was it just not getting any better like did you just continue to yeah. not feel anything below your waist and were the doctors yeah. like drink water like yeah. we, no. we're pretty sure no. you're just no dehydrated water again. in fact when i brought up the water they kind of just like rolled their eyes like no no one was like drink water like <laughs> guys so weird okay medical team what do we think about Water. water. <laughs> They're like, well, we already got her hooked up to an IV drip of water. How do we feel about water, guys? I'm feeling oh. like there's something to that. <laughs> yeah. So they kept, they put me on like a steroid treatment. I guess that's pretty much like a go-to in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So they put me on steroids for like five days. And then we hit day 15 and the doctor came in. And at this point we weren't doing anything, right? Like they had done the lumbar puncture. They'd done MRIs. I had a CT scan. They had me like pee in a cup for like three days so that they could monitor my copper levels. Like we had done all the tests and Mm. there was still nothing. So at this point too, it's COVID. I haven't seen my family. I was like, I kind of want to go home. Like we're not doing anything. I'm just sitting in a COVID infested hospital. Like I would love to go home and have like normal food, whatever. My house is not wheelchair accessible at all though. So on day 15, the doctor comes in she's like, okay, we can't discharge you yet because you don't have a family doctor in Peterborough because I just moved here. So they like set me up with a family doctor. She was like, okay, like, I guess you like follow up with him and then they just kind of like, let me go. Um, with still no answers. So I stayed at home with my mom for, um, like I got discharged in at that point, it was like beginning of August stayed at home until like about October. And we realized, okay, like this house, like staying at home was a disaster. Like it was not wheelchair accessible. Like if my brother wasn't there to carry me up the stairs, we just like, couldn't. like we would have to wait for my brother to come home from work to like get me up the stairs. You're still, you're still from the waist down. You're still in that same situation. So we're doing like physical therapy. We're, we're trying our best to like get through my mom and dad. We're doing like all this research about what it could be. Like we came up with like at one point, it could have been this thing called transverse myelitis, which basically just means like inflammation of the spinal cord, which is like what I had. I had inflammation in my spinal cord, but my parents were doing like all this research and my cousin actually, he found, I mean, Peterborough is like a very small town. So he found a physical therapist in Toronto that specialized in like the the nervous system and brain and spinal cord. So I would travel 
three days a week to Toronto with my mom and we would go and do physio with her. But she said, she's like, you either need to see me five days a week or you need to be admitted to like an inpatient hospital. Cause like, we're not, you need more than like what's happening right now. Right. So right. she ended up getting me into, um, Lindhurst, which is like a spinal cord rehab in Toronto. I don't know if any of you've heard of it. It's a hospital that you like live in, but it's just for people with like issues with their spinal cord and brain. Okay. So it's all people like needing to learn to walk again. So I think my parents definitely didn't think I was going to make it through that. So it was COVID still. So I oh got, I finally got in there in November and yeah, everyone was really excited. So I got like admitted there November 18th and it was far, like no visitors at that time. It was still very much like COVID protocols. So my dad wasn't able to come. My mom was able to come for two hours a week. Um, but that was it. And you were just very much like alone in there. So I think my parents definitely thought I was only going to make it like two days, but I ended up being there until January 28th. So I spent November to January in there. And while I was there, yeah, it was the best thing that ever happened to me though. While I was there, I was improving a lot and I was getting some mobility back. Still didn't have a diagnosis. We were just like trying to get some mobility back in. I was started walking with a walker and then, um, like five days after Christmas. So yeah, it was like December 30th. I woke up again, completely paralyzed on the right side. And I'm like, Whoa. oh my God, like Whoa. all the work I just did. So like, were you just right like, side. so were like you, that, the work that you're doing though in there, yeah. um, can you, can I get like, give us a, a bit of a, a sense of like what that work looked like? Like, is it, yeah. it I mean, I, I can kind of imagine it's like, you know, you've got like the rails and they're like, all right, like one yes. foot in front of the other. And like, you're doing that kind of stuff. Like, but what, what yes, like, we got to that like two months in, but it started with like, Wow. My toes, like this sounds kind of gross, but because I was like sort of, you know, I had no mobility, my toes had kind of like curled in. So the first three weeks were literally just separating my toes again. Like that was the first three weeks. It was like a very slow process. And I remember like calling my mom being like, I don't think I need to be here. Like we're not doing anything. And my mom just kept being like, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. Like they know what they're doing. Like you need to stay in there. So yeah, it was like three weeks of like just uncurling my toes. Wow. And like getting the, like working on the muscle atrophy because I wasn't walking for months. Were, so were, it was just, were you, were you just like, with that. like, what was it like, how much of a mind fuck was it going from like, you know, July when you had this like rapid onset, like, um, lack of feeling below your waist to, to like all of a sudden, you know, months going by, you're still not really getting any better. You're you're in this like facility where you're learning how to walk again and you don't even have a diagnosis. Like what dude? And on top of that, on top of that, like the height of the height of the height of a global pandemic where like everybody is going, I don't fucking know. I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm fucking scared. Like, Staff was was anybody used, can't see your parents? Can't have friends. Can't have fucking. Got to eat hospital food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was anybody? Well, like, I spent a lot of money on Uber Eats. I think at the end <laughs> of my stay, it was like six hundred dollars. Yes. Like I just 100%. ate breakfast yeah. there and then would Uber Eats dinner this every was, night. But was, this um, is the way. This is the way. Was anybody? Yeah. Did anybody um, play with the idea of like, oh, maybe you had COVID and it was like some weird mm. like variant of COVID? Because like I feel like during yes. that time in 2020 when people were like. Mm-hmm. It, it can do anything. It can do anything. It can yeah. fuck it's you up literally, anyway. it's a, it's just, it just takes the form. It's like anything bad is just now a COVID. Right. Yeah. right. Maybe it's COVID. Yeah. MS is a COVID. But, but, but actually, yeah. and also how much of a mind fuck was that period of time? I was like, honestly, I look back and I'm like, I think I was in denial for a lot of it. And I think yeah. I was just like, cause a lot of it, I look back and it's a total blur. Totally. Like I remember like key details, but it was just like, it honestly was a year of my life that I sort not lost, but it was like a year of my life that like was just like waiting and hoping and like working really hard to get better. But it was just like a, a write off of a year, if you will. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I feel that about th- the year of COVID too, yeah. but I wasn't yeah. dealing with yeah. fucking like, like massive dehydration I'm just so, like you were. I'm yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> you were drinking your water. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so blown away with like the idea of like, like like you said you were working a job and like in between semesters of school and like all of the fucking like logistics of like being a 19 year old and it being summertime and like try and and then and then into the school year like what did you did you did you have i mean obviously you had to stop doing school i suppose like yes, what was that i like? dropped out yeah I, I dropped out um it was funny though because i had signed a lease in guelph so I had to email my landlord. I'm like, hey, just like fun fact, I'm actually paralyzed, so I can't get into the house. So I'm going to need out of my lease. But at that time, like all the university students wanted out of their lease because 
right. school was online. So everyone <laughs> yeah. wanted to get out of their lease. So she's like, haha, yeah, like, no, you're not getting out of your lease. So I ended up paying like six months of rent to a townhouse oh. that I like never was able to get into because it was like I was in the hospital, it wasn't wheelchair accessible, like all this stuff. And about six months in, I was able to find someone who wanted to sublet from me. So then the other six months of the lease, like someone else, like some guy took it over. Like that is in fourth year. That's wild. There's got to be some laws there where it's like I know I mean, we contacted a lawyer too. Is, like yeah. we had family friends looking into it, but it was just like that was the least of my worries. Though, yeah, to be honest, yeah, the town yeah. You, you couldn't when, walk. Um, yeah, that's. I yeah. mean, I'd be like, I'd be focusing on <laughs> when, one foot in front of the other as well. When yeah. you were when you were doing the that first initial ther- uh, physio and they were getting mm-hmm. you to like separate your toes yeah were was that does that look like them basically telling you to <laughs> like concentrate really hard like is it a brain are they like, are they like mind, you to, muscle are they trying connection? to get you to t- to like are, is it really yeah. like a like a brain physio where they're like yes. we need your brain to send like the strongest signal possible down to your yeah. feet it, it is like the most frustrating feeling. Like I remember like crying in physio because it's like when you're like trying to do math homework with your parents, at the kitchen table is what I would equate it to. And like, you're just not getting it. And they're like trying to understand why you're not getting it. It's like frustrating <laughs> for everyone. And you just want to cry. Yeah. It was like that. Like <laughs> they would tell me to do something. Like I would, I want to wiggle my toes. I want to separate them, but like I'm telling my body to do it and they're just not moving. Like it's mm-hmm. like the most frustrating feeling. Mm. Um, so it was a lot of that. And then it was a lot of them like actually physically though, like them like massaging it, which you'd think, Oh, nice, nice, like foot rub. No, it hurt like so bad. They were trying mm. to like, actually like ma- like physically like separate them. And it probably is um, like, like a little bit, like, uh, 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 when we're always trying to relate to the expect, like, obviously we can never truly relate in terms of like mm-hmm. the exact experience of, of the things that like people we talk to are going through. Um, mm-hmm. I think we are always trying to do that. And I think our, fa- our people who are our, our, our fans, our listeners are always trying to do that. Um, so like the thing that, the thing that I think about is what we were going back to earlier. Like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've been sleeping on your arm and Mm -hmm. you realize that your arm is dead from the shoulder to the fingertips. And it's like, I want to turn around and like move my arm out of the Mm -hmm. way. I want to do that. But then I'm just end up being like a, like a, I'm like the wacky, wavy, inflatable arm flailing yeah. tube man. Like I'm trying to like almost use my chest to like sling my arm across my body because I just mm-hmm. can't, I just can't do it. And you're like, and you do have that moment of going, I can't believe I can't tell my arm to do Wait, this. Wait, you've lost, you lose feeling that much when you sleep on your arm oh, like I that? lose complete feeling. I can't use my arm at Whoa. all. Dude, I, so I mean, not to like, not to d- fucking derail this, but <laughs> since I started working out, uh, Brian, Brian, I've been on like a really heavy, uh, workout routine. Actually, you might be able to speak to this since you're like getting into personal training and stuff. Spoiler know, alert, yeah. spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, <laughs> but, uh, since I started working out, I've been sleeping. I I'm a, I'm a side sleeper. I sleep on my side, usually with an arm tucked underneath my head. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think because my, my, <laughs> I think because my arms like puffing up, Probably because the, the creatine. Because you're getting so swollen. Because you're so swollen. So I, I wake up every night now with a with my arm asleep so bad that when I take my arm out from under my head, not only is my hand completely numb, but it's also it's also doing what your fucking toes were doing, Rachel. It's like like it it, it, it turns into yeah. that weird hand from like scary movie where it's like, <laughs> yo, guys. It turns into my strong guys. hand. <laughs> guys, guys, you need... You you guys both need to drink more water. <laughs> nah, dude. Yeah, I would say like, that though with creatine, I think you actually do. Like, water might actually be your friend. Like, I'm not a nutritionist, but I think with creatine, you're supposed to drink more. So I was yeah. just thinking that he took the words out of my mouth. Water might be your friend. <laughs> but maybe, I'm maybe on, you are just. But I'm good, good on. I'm good on water. Of course, simple. Rachel's going to tell me to drink water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's her go-to. Clearly, <laughs> we'll solve all your problems. Headaches, water, hungover, water, Caroline, water. Okay. I'll I want to come back to the the you're saying like at the end of December that you'd made this bit of progress and then like all of a sudden the entire right side of your your body was yeah it sucked like I was like it was such a punch in the gut because I had been working so hard at physio and I was finally taking steps again and then yeah I wake up and I'm like oh fuck so I struggle to get dressed and I you know transfer into my wheelchair and I roll down to the physical therapist floor and I'm like, Daryl, that's my physical therapist. I'm like, we have a problem. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I am completely paralyzed on the right side. He just looked at me like, fuck, like this girl cannot get a break. So mm. 
he does all these tests and he's like, Hey, we have to call the doctor down. Doctor comes down within like 30 seconds. She's on the phone with 911 being like, we need a hospital transfer. Like we got to get this girl on an ambulance. She's got to go back to acute care. I'm like, for fuck's sakes. And at this point I was really liking rehab. I had like a lot of friends there. Cause we all became friends. Cause like none of us could see our families really. So like mm-hmm. we had a good group. Life was good. I was walking a little bit better. We were going to do karaoke the next night. Like I had plans. I'm like, I can't go to the hospital. Like <laughs> I have things going on. <laughs> so they take me to Toronto Western, which was like affiliated with the spinal cord rehab that I was at. So they sent me to Toronto Western and I was there for like six days and just like, it was like the worst six days. I was like, yeah, I was completely paralyzed. Um, right side. I couldn't really like get up to go to the bathroom by myself. Like I needed help with everything. It kind of began. Whereas before when I was in rehab, like I was able to transfer from the toilet, from the wheelchair. Like I was kind of doing things a little bit by myself, but I was back to needing help with everything, which sucked. Um, but it was like, in hindsight, the best thing that ever could have happened. Cause while I was there, they had another neurologist look at me. So now I'm on like neurologist four. And he was like, he comes into the room and he's like, like after my six days and he goes, so I don't want you to freak out, but like there's now we're seeing stuff like they, before they just seen lesions on my spine. They're like the new MRI is showing more lesions on your spine than what we saw in Peterborough, but you also have some on your optic nerve. And I'm like, Oh, oh my goodness. Great. I'm like, Oh, great. And so he's like, so that indicates, he said a lot of people times with optic nerve, it's MS. He said that indicates multiple sclerosis to me. I'm like, what is that? So he explains it and he's like, but I can't diagnose you. We're not an MS center. Like I have to send you out to a different facility to get you diagnosed. So I'm like, okay, but it's like COVID and things are slow. So he ended up sending me back to Lindhurst. I stayed at Lindhurst then until January and kept working on my physio and got a bit better, like got back to walking with a walker and was doing really well with physio there. And then I got discharged, got sent home. I'm walking with a walker, sometimes like walking poles. I'm doing like pretty well, but still don't have a diagnosis. But the idea of MS is like looming. Yeah. Um, and we still didn't know a ton about MS. Um, and everyone just kind of kept telling me like, you don't want MS. Like the hope was that it wasn't um, like MS, but it was sort of like lingering. It was a new possibility. So then I think I had to wait until like March to meet with the new with the neurologist that could diagnose me with MS, like the center for MS, which is at um, St. Michael's hospital. Mm-hmm. So in March, like I met with a new neurologist, the one that I love and still have. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't know what's going on with you, but like, I'm going to figure it out. Um, so two weeks later, she called me like on my cell phone and she was like, I need you. She's like, you're not going to want to hear this, but I need you to come back into the hospital. Like I want you to come to my hospital. So St. Mike's and all those tests that you've had done, so, like the lumbar punctures, the MRIs, the CT scans, everything like we're redoing it all. And we're going to do it here. Um, so I'm like, I don't know if any of you have ever had a lumbar puncture, but they suck. It sounds really, it sounds nice. Uh, or so no. it's like a, no, it's no, like it's a, not. Big, it's like not, a acupuncture needle. Yeah. But like going through the vertebrae in your spine. To draw oh, it. yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Jer loves so needles. Like, it's like a sign yeah. pole sized needle. Hell dude, that yeah. sounds awful. It's like sort of like an epidural. For like yeah. Right. It's like going yeah. in. Yeah. Except so you don't get we, fucking numbed out. Like epidural no, probably no. probably does feel kind of nice after it's nice. in, doesn't it? I don't know. <laughs> well, we're already numbed out at this I think point. An epidural, so I mean, yeah, I guess your whole body's numbed out yeah, at this point. So we're like, like still numbed fucking, out. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're like, you got the, ep- you got a permanent. It's like it's yeah. there. Yeah. You're not feeling anything. So then I got, like, she sent me back for March 29th. So I spent six days there. So yeah, like March 29th, I think I got released. Um, April 1st, I remember like very clearly because at this point I had spent every holiday of the year in the hospital. And, like we don't celebrate Easter in my family, but I was like, Easter's not huge for me, but like I spent every holiday in the hospital. So if you could have me out of here so I could make it home for Easter dinner, like I'd be really grateful. So yeah. <laughs> on April, April 1st, she came in and she sat me down and was like, you have multiple sclerosis. That's when we called my mom. And that's when we finally had like the diagnosis and then a game plan and everything kind of like went up from there. Mm. I'm really curious about that, that time, like when you were first sort of filled with the idea that it could be MS from that first doctor who couldn't technically mm-hmm. diagnose you, but was like, Hey, you know, like these optic nerve things, it's kind of looking yeah. a little bit like MS. Um, did you then, you'd, you'd mentioned that like people were like, oh, that's not what you want. Yeah, you don't did want you, that. Did you like look into it during that time as like a potential yes. possibility? And, and Yeah, big mistake. Like yeah. Dr. Google is not, was not my friend. Like I was reading all yeah. these awful things that could happen to me if it was MS. So I was like, nope, don't want this. Do not want this. Um, mm. So that was not, to Google it was not, the best option what do you what do you mean by that because like you're now obviously you're saying that in hindsight 
um, that like mm-hmm. it wasn't, but like at that time, I mean, you don't know what MS is going to look like for you. And so like you're yeah. Googling it and reading all of these sort of horror stories and then you get this mm-hmm. diagnosis. Um, like, what do you, what do you mean? It was like those, the things that you read were so scary and like, how has it sort of been over the last little bit living so with the MS? thing with MS is there's no, no cure. And they made that really clear, like on all the websites that I was looking at, like there is no cure for MS. I mean, they're working on one, but there's just like symptoms and treatments to minimize like the symptoms of MS and then to minimize the progression of it and to minimize like your pain, but there is no way to like actually fix it. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading that, I was like, Oh no, <laughs> no, no, yeah. we need like something to actually fix this. And then I was also reading about, there's like a bunch of different kinds. Of, I think there's four kinds of MS. I only know of two, like I have recurring remitted, which means like, um, you'll go through flare ups. So like, mm recurring as in like i have flare-ups and then remitted meaning i'll get better kind of thing mm-hmm. um and then there's this one called primary progressive which is the one that i was reading about and that's the one that unfortunately like you a lot of women have it and like mine could progress that eventually but it's one that you don't really want it's sort of like a downward spiral like you just keep getting like worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. is my understanding with that one right. but i didn't want that yeah um, so there's there's three types relapsing yeah. secondary progressive and primary progressive yeah, so I have the relapsing one. Right, really. mm. Recurring remitted. And it, and it's like I and I guess my my like basic understanding and which is possibly a misunderstanding, um it's like your nerves are is it like your nerves are like are are like deteriorating? Like the, the Yeah. So think about my body like if you want I think about it like this way it's like my body working against me so it's a demyelinating condition and there's myelin like surrounding all your nerves and it's mm-hmm. sort of my understanding like I'm not a doctor but my understanding is like those the myelin protects the nerves but also sends signals like to your legs to move them or to your brain like to be able to do things so like MS is a demyelinating condition in the sense that like my body's eating the myelin mm-hmm. off my nerves so it's like attacking mm-hmm. my spinal cord it's attacking my brain and it myelin is immune Sorry, it is it, it, it and it is an autoimmune condition. Like it is it autoimmune, falls, falls yeah. Autoimmune and yeah, myelin, myelin, from my understanding, is like what creates like quote unquote muscle memory. So like you practice a mm-hmm. movement, you build the myelin on those yeah. neuro, the the nerves to like strengthen your your ability to like remember to throw a ball this way or whatever. And so if it's demyelin demyelinating, then it's then yeah. it's basically like you're unlearning almost how to move your body Walk. in that way. Yeah. 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 I mean, actually, and just, just the other day, like just on this, on this, on the topic of like myelin and nerves and like, and you know, you said something, um, earlier about, um, about when you got up and you were, you're like your knees buckled because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, proprioception. You're, yeah, you're not, you're losing your proprioception. Uh, and I was actually telling you about this when I was at the vet the other day and they were doing a test on Loki to see whether his, oh, yeah. whether his uh, spine was like showing any signs of, my dog, my French bulldog, showing any signs of like a of like degeneration in his in his spine. They did this thing where they take his paw and they like flip it so that the top of his paw is face down on the ground, and they see how quickly he he bounces that back to the correct position. And if there's like a delay, then they basically say, "Oh, there's like there's might be some degeneration in the nerve, and that that is prog- that that's progressive." Which I'm like, now that I hear this conversation, I'm like. Dog MS? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Maybe. Right. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts with the the relapsing ms um and mm-hmm. and i'm on the ms society uh website here mssociety.org.uk so maybe it's different for different for the brits but um <laughs> uh if it's not uh they do say that uh that people with relapsing have attacks of symptoms that can either fade away either partially or completely um mm-hmm. and symptoms you've had before might come back or you might get 
brand new symptoms. And around 85% of people with MS are diagnosed with this type. Um, So it's been, since you got your diagnosis, it's been about three years, correct? Or yeah. or this all kind of okay. So about three years. Um, what has the like? What has the um, the MS attacks kind of looked like for you? Um, is it is it is it like? Have you noticed a pattern in terms of consistency? And like when it comes to the types of symptoms, have they changed? Have they ranged? Or is it all pretty much the same? So I'm really lucky. The type of drug that I'm on, it was approved in 2018. Um, it's called Ocrevus. It's the point of it is to prevent attacks because you don't want an attack like with the recurring MS. Every attack that you get, you can't undo that damage, like the damage to your uh, spinal cord, to your brain. You don't want okay. that. So every MRI I was having before I got like my actual diagnosis in Toronto, like with my current neuro- like neurologist, um, Every MRI that I had, I had like three or four. It was worse and worse and worse every time. So every MRI I've had since starting the Ocrevus, um, I haven't had any new lesions, which means I haven't had any more damage done, which means the medication is working. So that's mm. amazing. Wow. But I did have a flare-up. If I get sick, I have flare-ups. So I got COVID and I had a really bad flare-up. So feet went numb. Mobility wasn't bad. I could still walk, but I needed a cane to walk. So that's been my only flare-up. and it didn't show up on an MRI. Oh. So we think that that happened just because my fever spiked really high. And so it caused a bit of a flare up with symptoms, but I haven't had any attacks, knock on wood. Since is there, is there any, treatment. is there any, um, like, are you at a higher risk of, of getting sick? Are you on, are you on immunosuppressants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what the drug is. It's an immunosuppressant. So oh, I, wow. I am at a higher risk. Yeah. Are you, does that like, it's, it's interesting. I mean, coming out of this, like into this, like post COVID world, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are obviously still really concerned about, mm-hmm. um, COVID and other, you know, flus or viruses that are out there. Um, like, how do you look at getting sick now? Is it something that you're really, you really, really try to avoid? I do really try to avoid it. Yeah. Because when I did get COVID that I did present a new symptom. So before COVID, um, I, like, I guess with MS people have to pee all the time. That was not the case for me until I had COVID. Now I have to pee like all the time. So that's just normal with MS, probably says it on the website. Um, so that happened when I got COVID. And like, it's just life. I'm just like the friend that's like, oh, when we're on a road trip, I'm like, oh, we're stopping every hour kind of thing. Um, so it's not a huge deal. But yeah, I, I get nervous now to get sick because I don't want a new symptom to develop. I don't know if one will, but like I do get nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that like, and does that, does that change? Has that changed your lifestyle in the sense that uh, yeah has it changed your lifestyle like do you do, do you find yourself making decisions to whether like you avoid certain places maybe you don't go out as frequently like does any of that take place or like licking handrails and stuff like that yeah, yeah <laughs> like i mean yeah. like everybody knows no one wants to give that up everybody knows that that's <laughs> totally of, yeah. you know just like i mean the flavors the human beings favorite activities um yeah like do you do you, do you find your do you find yourself sort of like um like limiting yourself uh, because you're going, eh, maybe that's not worth it. Or, 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 or do you just kind of live life regularly and take, take some precautions to minimize the, the chance? I would say I live life regularly. At the beginning, I was like so conscious of it and I was really nervous and I didn't want to get sick. I didn't want to have a flare up, but then it was stopping me from doing things. And like my MS kind of already stopped me from doing things for like a year and a half, right? That I spent, mm. you know, in rehab in the hospital. So I'm kind of like, I'm in the fuck it mentality. And like my neurologist yeah. will hate to hear this if she ever listens to this, but <laughs> Like, I'm going to obviously, like, not go out of my way to get sick. But if it happens, it happens. I'm not going to, like, hide in my room just because mm, yeah. it I could mean, affect it, me worse than someone else. Yeah, you know? it's a risk-reward mentality. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you know, it's, a, it's, it's and, like, what, what's, in, what's really important to one person might not be to another and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I mean, you got to... I mean, it's, 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 it really is. It's, it's a very similar conversation to, like, the broad conversation around COVID, where it was, like, mm-hmm. as we moved to, like, the later stages of the pandemic, it was, like, well... What what do we lose when we do one thing to prevent it, and what do we gain yeah. when we like it's it's your ba- it's a balancing act, and yeah. we've all got to <laughs> to that point. Um, how you know so far in this three year um, experience with MS, mm-hmm. like how has this had an effect on your social life? You know, what are the kinds of conversations that you're having with like friends? 
Um, mm-hmm. Are you are you dating? Like, is it is it kind of playing an effect there? Like, how has it sort of affected you in 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 terms of your social life? Huge, and that's been the biggest thing to navigate, and kind of the biggest lesson from it, or one of the biggest lessons. So when it first happened, and we didn't have a diagnosis, and it was like, oh, this nineteen year old girl is just waking up, and she has no mobility, and like her like kind of like change on time. A lot of my friends, I think, not my close close friends, but a lot of friends that I had like at university, or friends that were sort of just like, you know not the closest group. I didn't hear from any of them. I sort of just like fell off the planet. Went, yeah. I fell off the planet a little bit. Like I never went back to Guelph. I never, you know, um, because it's, it's weird. It's hard to talk about. It's a weird thing. Like how could, you know, you just wake up one day and I think it made people very uncomfortable. It's kind of what I'm saying. Um, my close group of friends, it took us a while to navigate it. Um, but like we, you know, everyone stuck by me and I have like amazing friends and family. I always had someone on FaceTime with me in the hospital. It's almost like my best friends had like a little group chat. Like someone was on FaceTime with me every night to make sure, like until I fell asleep to make sure I had someone to talk to. Um, But we definitely had awkward, interesting situations to navigate. So, you know, I went from being like kind of the mom of the group to like needing everyone's help. So I needed help getting out of the shower. I needed help going to the bathroom. Like my best friend, Abby has had to take me to the bathroom and help me pull my pants down. Like I've needed help getting like, cooking i've needed help driving i needed people to drive me to appointments and treatments and Mm. i've had like incident i've had so many falls it's just like a joke within our friendship but like i have really bad balance because the ms i fall all the time i fell this past weekend actually but you know like if we're going out and it's winter and it's icy someone's always holding me like kind of underneath the armpits just making sure i'm not falling like we joke about it which is good like we always had humor the whole time like we were Mm. always able to laugh even when there was no diagnosis we were joking about it probably on week one we started to be able to make find the humor in it but it did take us a long time to kind of find my new place in the friend group when Mm -hmm. when it was all happening now we're sort of back to normal if you will and like it's still a joke and we have to be a little bit mindful but yeah we crack jokes about it and we just make sure someone's always got me in case i'm gonna fall but (laughs) there were definitely positions that friends had to step into that like i'm really grateful they did but they are hard like you know have to help your friend shower and go to the bathroom and all those especially at that age like it's just hard to i mean i think of myself in my early 20s like it would have been really hard for me to have those types of conversations with my friends and like really i mean even if you could like have that conversation to like really understand and empathize and like and and understand what that means it would be difficult yeah but i, I would have pulled your pants I down and I, helped you pee buddy yeah i think like back, most in, things, back in those days i appreciate that i think it, i think Thank it you. i think it seems i think the perception of that when you are the younger you are the perception of it is is more challenging like the the sense of that mm. the younger you get seems more challenging but at the same time i think it's a it's like a muscle and you, and if you work that muscle yeah. with your with, like you get like, like Brandon, think about Brandon, right? Brandon was nineteen, had fucking one leg. Yeah. Like and like after after an hour with Brandon or yeah, like a th- yeah. like and especially after like two or three months of like really yeah. hanging out with Brandon, it's like you kind of forget that he's got one leg and that he's yeah. going through chemo treatment, and that he's in and out of cancer, and like not you don't forget about it, but it just becomes part of the normalcy of the whole situation. And because you flex that muscle enough. Yeah. It doesn't seem, and I think that that's probably going to be the case for a lot of people. It's hard to see over that barrier when you yeah. haven't confronted it yet. But no matter but, what, though, if if you're like it, I mean, the difference between you and and me, Rachel, is that you were 19, and all of a sudden you get this diagnosis at 19. Yeah. When I was at 19, I had 19 years of living with CF, so like there wasn't really like the awkwardness. Like it sort of was kind of gone. But when you yeah. all of a sudden get it. Of course, there's going to be that like there's a hump, hump but it's, of like, oh yeah. fuck, how do yeah. we like how do we work through this? But shit? like the, to the yeah. point about Brandon, sometimes it's easier for the person emotionally who's living with the thing than it is for like the everybody people who else. Don't, you yeah, know? yeah. like it, yeah. it's much harder for it. And also, like you know, we were in our late twenties when Brandon was in his yeah. early twenties, and he did have a lot of trouble with his friends that were were his age trying yeah. to like totally yeah, right. trying to maintain those relationships because they were like. But they push back and walk but away, what, and we're like, I can't. But I what can't I'm saying, what I'm saying is that for for people who are that young, for people who are like 19, 20, 21, mm. whatever, is is to know, like, if there's somebody who's who's listening who is that age right now and mm-hmm. is like and is like, oh, I, I that would be that would be really hard. I understandably, definitely, um, like if you have somebody in your life who's going through that and you're trying to figure out how to like connect with that person or 
maintain your friendship in this like new dynamic. Mm. I think it's important to see it as a hump that you will get over. Yeah, totally. And that it will become, it will work its way into an, into the normal cycle of your relationship, which like most of the things, if not all of the things that you enjoyed about your relationship before the, before something happened will, will come back and will remain totally with just this like added dimension of whatever you're dealing with. I'm, I, I, I'm just, that's just like, that's just like eight years of talking to people who go through shit. Yeah. Talking. <laughs> what, yeah. How I did I think that's how most of my close friends looked at it like that? Like they all, they were like, okay, this is just what we're dealing with. And like a lot of them said, like, it's hard for us to see you this way because it's very sad, but like, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's really, I actually, I remarked this yesterday. So I was in a, um, I was in a bike, uh, I race bicycles, bicycles, mm-hmm. p- leg powered bicycles, a butt dart race. <laughs> so, so called butt dart as to Jeremy. Um, and, and I noticed something really interesting. There was a, uh, so halfway through the race, there was a big crash guy. It was really, really concussed and he snapped his collarbone really bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the race shut down and we had to call an ambulance and stuff. And, and I noticed that amongst the younger the younger guys that are in the race uh, being like guys in that are around 20 years old, there was a, um, it seemed like there was a, there was like a more somber sort of like cloud over them about how, and, and they will, and it seemed like, and I, and I don't mean this as like any sort of judgment. I just, just, just remarked that they kind of wanted to be further away from the situation. They were much more quiet. Um, it just, it just, it seemed like, it was just really chal- much more challenging for them to process than some of the older guys um, who may have been in a crash or an accident before, had had some experience, had seen something like this happen before. And and I don't think that that's like too, uh, too unlike or it could be used as like a proxy for like just tough stuff. Yeah. You know, when something tough happens and you're younger and you're not as experienced, you haven't had the life experience of seeing somebody go through something really shitty. Um yeah, I mean, you can definitely be forgiven for having a really hard time um, yeah. trying to process something that's super foreign and mm-hmm. um, and and hard and hard to hard to understand how you should be in this new yeah. in this new dynamic. I, I am I'm curious about like in terms of uh, in terms of like dating. Is this something mm-hmm. that you've like? Have you been dating over the last three years, or if you haven't, yes. like? You must have been at least thinking like, oh, fuck, how is MS going to like get in the way of romance? Yes. Good question. It was like my biggest fear. Like all my friends are like, oh, my God, you're ridiculous. But my biggest fear, like when I finally started, because that wasn't my focus when I wasn't walking. But once I started walking again and working again and like having a bit of like my normal, a new normal life, um, like I call it my new normal. because That's what it is. um, You know, my friends started being like, well, you need to like start dating and like meeting people. And I remember my biggest fear being like, no, this is going to make it. Like, how do I tell someone that I have this disease? Like, it's mm. scary. Like, mm. I thought it was going to be like, no one would want to deal with that. So it's always like, okay, when do you tell new people? So like new friends or like guys that you that I've seen, like, when do you bring it up? So I remember yeah. the first guy that I like dated seriously after um, my diagnosis, I told him on the first date, I was like, this is what I have. This is what, because I really had to go to the bathroom a bunch of times on the date, but a symptom of the, <laughs> the disease. I was like, just so you know, like, I'm not like some weird girl. Like I do. Have, I have a disease. That yeah. this Plus is I drink happening. a lot of water. I drink, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of water. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I told him on the first date and he, I mean, he handled it well, but I, you could tell he was like, what, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he handled it well and we ended up, having a relationship and then men since then like we're no longer together but since then like i sort of read the room like when do you bring it up when mm. do you tell people that this is what you have even meeting like new friends like my one really good friend mia she's amazing like she i told her probably she found out like we were all joking about the time that i was in the wheelchair and she kind of looked at me like uh you were in a wheelchair i said yeah here's my little story but she's been amazing ever since and she's had to deal with a lot of symptoms she's seen me go through two treatments um mm. since having it and she's never like been judgmental or anything. She's amazing. Like she's done everything right. So mm. most people that come in, they're pretty good and they have, get it. Have you so, ever had a, have you ever had a dating experience where like, where you like the person and you like, you're, you're like, you're into them, mm-hmm. 
but for some reason you're getting the vibe that you don't want to tell them and then you that and then you kind of realize at some point like huh maybe not wanting to tell this like and that that persists where you're like maybe not wanting to tell this person is like the signal Red that flag. maybe that like even though i like them mm-hmm. i'm getting this vibe that i don't want to tell them and that's sort of telling me that maybe this isn't going to be so I haven't experienced that down. yet. Like everyone that I have told or that I have seen has been like totally fine with it. So I haven't had that feeling yet, but I definitely like am cautious to read the room because mm-hmm. you don't want to just like trauma dump on someone and be like, so this was like what happened to me the past three years kind of thing. So I find humor helps a lot when you bring it up. Like mm-hmm. if you need to tell someone about this, you know, use humor, make, make them feel like, you know, I'm comfortable with it. So like hopefully everyone else is comfortable with it, yeah. but I haven't I mean, had that yet. No. It's mm-hmm. such an interesting thing to think about like like when do you bring it up and like obviously you know it's been a big part of your your last few years and and but also at the same time it's not something that has to define you or like as yeah. jared likes to say sometimes like let it define you on your own terms um mm-hmm. but it is interesting to think about like like i haven't ha- been in that situation where i've had to do that but it feels hard to know like when it would be the right situation to bring it up like i i think of like if I was on a date and I had been through something like that, maybe something, maybe a question I'd want to ask somebody is like, what is the hardest thing you've ever been through? And like, sort of like tee it up for them to see like, what is like, you know, what are the challenges that they've been through in their lives that sort of influence the way that they are as a person. And then hopefully they care enough about you that they're going to ask you about the hardest thing you've been through. And if that's, you know what it is, you, or you could, or you you could go, you could go, um, tell me like one thing I'm just kind of curious, like, what are any and all of the health issues that you have in a list and uh, a list of the medications that yeah, you currently well, take? You could just ask them before. All the details. Yeah, yeah. You could ask them before and to bring their medical records. Yeah, that's right. That's know, right. Which yeah. might just be easier. Or you could review them before the date. Yeah. It is, it is like, it is one of those things where it's like, Oh fuck. Like how do you bring it up? When do you bring it up? But the other thing that I, that I, I've always thought this in, in, in the realm of like dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like we spoke about this, like on the dateability uh, episode mm-hmm. that we did, we we spoke to uh, the founders of this app called Dateability, which is like basically Tinder for people who live with illness or disabilities. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and so, uh, and actually, like the app is available now, and you can download it, and like highly suggest you check it out, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool. But um, one of the things we were talking about was like how living with any kind of illness or disability and dating. Mm-hmm there as as much as it sometimes is like a, a kind of a pain in the ass it also provides you with like a really great filter totally yeah. for just ensuring that like totally. if you're looking for love like it's it's the no bullshit filter you mm-hmm. bring it up and if the person is fucking okay cool whatever then you know like okay sweet i don't have to like deal with yeah you know some self-centered it's kind of similar to um it's kind of similar like if you are if you are disability free and you're in your let's say you're third in your 30 early 30s whatever and you're single and you're dating and you want kids right like and somebody who goes i absolutely don't ever want kids. yeah and, and it's, it's like, like boom, and, there you and, go. And, and like kind of similar like you'd want to mm. know you wouldn't you might not want to bring that up like on the first date but like well, why not well, I mean, oh no, I'm saying, I'm saying individual, like individual I'm, I'm to the person. Like you would, kind of, I want kids t- this year <laughs> tonight. <laughs> I'm right. <Yeah>. And like, <laughs> and I timed this date because I'm ovulating. Um, yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, uh, but, but it's kind of similar to that. Like it, it provides a filter because like, if that yeah. person, at, you know, at whatever point you choose to like bring that up, if that person's like, Ooh. Oh, whoa. Like I'm actually like not into having kids. Then you're Ooh. then and that that's like a non-negotiable for you. Then it's kind of like, yo, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, wish this could have worked out. It's not going to work out. That's okay. Whatever. Um, and I think probably dating with uh, dating with a disability or something that's going to like that could progress into the future. Like yeah. obviously, like MS mm-hmm. is like you know gives you a yeah gives you a great filter for the person that not only you you are into but the type of person that is that is going to be able to care for you and not not see that as like a, as a deal breaker. Totally. Mm -hmm. I, I, 
I I would I would love to like be you know we are coming up to time here, but one thing mm-hmm. that I I sort of mentioned earlier and we haven't really talked about, and I'd love to get into it. Um, you know, you were going to school, taking poli sci, hoping to go yep. to law. Um, th- that got scrapped. Um, mm-hmm. so what like what was the transitionary period there? How did you get into doing what you're doing now? So I stopped going to school like when all this like started, and it was a good timing because it was COVID. Um, and things were going online anyway. So I just never went back to the University of Guelph and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, but once I started walking again, I started getting really into fitness and just like really appreciating my body and its capabilities, like just things that you never really think about before. So I decided to go to college for fitness and health promotion, which is what I just graduated from. Um, and the hope is to work with people with disabilities like that or older adults, like people, functional fitness is sort of my passion. So Mm. Um, I got a job, I, like I just started going to the gym all the time, uh, just the gym close to my house and the owner of the gym, he like, you know, we would see each other all the time. And one day he came up and he's like, what do you do where you're able to be here? Like, you know, all the time in the middle of the day. And I was like, well, I'm actually a student in fitness and health promotion. I want to be a personal trainer. And he said, well, if you get your cert, like I'll hire you. So that sort of put like, it ignited a flame and I whipped through my certification. I got certified for last October and started working and um, so I work with a lot of older adults for functional fitness. I have a couple of younger clients, but most of it is functional fitness. And then oh. I got a job um, at a spin studio in town called Full Tilt. And I love that. So I do that like four times a week as well. Sweet. Sweet. What's cool. your, what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, exercise at the gym right now? At what's your gym fa- right Yeah. Now? What's your favorite one going? Other than running on all fours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. That is some functional, that's some functional fitness, dude. <laughs> What? Have you ever seen that guy sing something? What's happening? What deadlift? Is- yeah. Yeah. I'm getting good at those. Maybe that's why I like them. But Man, deadlift is... Uh, it's it's crazy how much it, ga- it gasses you out so quickly. Yeah. Sumo deadlifts or like regular deadlifts? What about, regular ba- what about Beto deadlifts? Beta deadlifts. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about... Taylor doesn't, uh, Taylor doesn't go What to about goblet squat deadlifts? Uh, de- Taylor, Taylor rides a butt dart. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start coming to the gym guys. I need functional fitness. You do. I need, I need functional. You should do. I need, I need functional strength. Yo, you know what you would actually, okay. You guys can both fuck off. I'm talking to Rachel here. Okay. Um, you know what you would really enjoy? Running on all there is a, there is a, uh, podcast that I listen to religiously called, the, uh, the oh drive God, with a guy sakes. named Peter Tia. No, no, seriously. And if you're working, if you're, if you are working, especially with, um, with, with, um, um, older people on functional, um, like fitness and strength stuff, geriatrics, Mm -hmm. he, he is like his deal, his whole deal is longevity. And like, he's looking at several different dimensions, but he's basically like at the bottom of the pyramid that makes up like how we move into Mm -hmm. our like eighth, ninth, 10th decades of life is exercise and like a, a, a good balance of cardiovascular and, and like functional strength stuff. Um, and he, and he, and I'm just reading his book right now and he's talking about what he calls the, uh, centenarian decathlon where he's like, if you want to choose 10 things that you want to be able to do when you're like 80, 90 years old. And we need to think about like, what is that? What are those things? What do they take now? And what, and how well can you do those things today? And so how do we train weight, like lifting weights, body weight stuff, cardio stuff. To, but what's to an make example sure of those like 10 things? Like, uh, so he's like, like, like being able be... to like, being able to like, when you're 80, do you want to be able to lift a great grandchild? Right. Because that, okay, right. because that child's going to be probably 25, 30 pounds. Sure. And like, and, and so if you want to be able to lift a 25 pound kid from the floor with your outstretched arms when you're in your eighties, right. well then you need to be able to do that with a 65 pound weight today because your strength statistically is going right, to deteriorate right, right, right. X amount per decade over time. And like, do you want to be able to lift an overhead bag into a, into a compartment and on a flight? No, mm-hmm. no, I want the flight attendant. <laughs> like, you know, do you want to be able to walk a mile and a half, like uphill on a trail? I've got three, I've got three good ones. Right. Um, gallop on all fours. Uh, trot on all fours and candor on all fours. Shut the fuck up, Brian. <laughs> Rachel, I, that's very interesting, Taylor. And and also something kind of interesting for people to think about, not just as like, as like, oh, when I'm 80, but like for someone like Rachel, who's like living with MS. And it's like, yeah. if this progresses, 
Like, how do I want, how do I want to be able to use my body or like hope to use my body to combat, you know, what's going on with my body. (laughs) Speaking of that, this transition that you've made into personal training, into this, like this newfound um, curiosity for exploring what your body is capable of. How has this kind of altered the way that you view your body and view MS and how it's affecting your body compared to, you know, before you even knew what MS meant? So I will say it gave me like I am. It's like the best of a bad situation. I will say like, do I wish I didn't have MS? Yes, but I am also super grateful for my MS and I wouldn't change a thing. I'm glad I went through the wheelchair. I'm glad I'm at where I am now. And I love doing spin and going to the gym every day. And every time I like get off the spin bike or I finish teaching a class, I do take a moment and I'm like, holy shit, like, look what I just did. And I'm Mm. super grateful to be able to do that. I also do go to, you know, this, I don't know what's going to happen with my MS. So I do go to bed every night, you know, very grateful for the day that I just had. And even just being able to go for a simple walk and I mean, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is like subconsciously, I check to make sure my toes still move. I like make sure everything's all good, (laughs) do a little daily check and then start my day. But I think it makes me very grateful for my body. And I would say that now, even with the MS, I'm in like the best shape that I've ever been. Like I'm in more better shape than I was prior to MS, like in the life before. Mm. So I am, it has made me a lot more thankful for my body and grateful for like all the Mm. things that it does. I have a question before we wrap about mm-hmm. um, something unrelated, but something that I've heard in the past about MS, which is mm-hmm. um, I remember seeing this TED talk a while ago about oh, yeah. the value of of eating an insane amount of leafy green vegetables. Do you know anything about this? I don't know about the leafy green vegetables, but I do know with MS, it's an inflammatory like disease. So they recommend like a Mediterranean diet, which I believe... Mm-hmm is supposed to be with a bunch of fruit. Like, so I guess, yeah, leafy greens, um, like tomatoes, any, anything with like an anti-inflammatory property, they mm-hmm. sort of recommend that. Olive oil, for some reason, is good. Like, I remember my neurologist being like, if you like olive oil, like put some on a salad. So apparently that's good. I haven't heard about the leafy greens, but I've heard that the Mediterranean diet is like, yeah. I don't follow it, but that's what we're like supposed to follow. <laughs> I've, I, rem- I, remember. I should, but I don't. <laughs> I remember that. Ted, I, I remember the, that TED talk. It's the, quite. I, I, it was. It was. Uh, it's it's Doctor Terry Walls W A H L S, um, and the TED talk is called uh, "Minding Your Mitochondria." I believe that mm-hmm. is the the TED talk where this woman basically talks about her uh, her MS that she that she was dealing with and. Um, mm, right to like, uh, you know, her anecdotal experience was that, uh, she changed her diet to something probably very similar to like a Mediterranean diet, very like heavy and leafy greens yeah. and mm-hmm. basically like reversed her MS. And so she was on yeah. this like sort of, um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there is like a strong correlation to like mito- mitochondrial function and myelin. And so like the higher your mitochondrial function, which can be done like through diet, but like really a ton through cardio, cardiovascular exercise, your mitochondria, you can, you can basically train your mitochondria to just like become much more functional um, through exercise, which is, which I think has a protective mechanism against myelin deterioration. Mm -hmm. Obviously we're not talking like in the realm of cure, curing or anything like that, but like obviously any, any percentage that you can do to to, to prevent. Um, Rachel, what would you say is the biggest thing that MS has taken away from you? Taken away from me? Uh, like, I don't know, because it's given me, like, in a weird way, it's given me so much. I guess it's taken away, like, a little bit of my carefree lifestyle. Like, I do stress about, you know, my body. Like, every time my body feels a little different, I'm like, oh, my God, like, something, you know, it's kind of, what is it yeah. called when people, um, these people that are always going to, yes, it has made me a bit of that. Mm. Um, but it's given me, I will say like my MS has definitely given me more than it has taken away. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, I think it's given me just like a huge, I mean, no one really gets to restart their life kind of at 19. It made me do a total like reevaluation of my life, a huge life switch made me real about reevaluate, you know, the people in my life. So based on just people that wanted to stick around and the people that I've met since. So like, one of my very close friends and my roommate, like she came after the MS and she's been amazing. And the guy that I'm seeing right now, he's been great with the MS. All my family made us a lot stronger. Um, it brought me like a job that I love. Like I love teaching spin. I love being a personal trainer. So it just brought me a whole new life. Like I would have, if I didn't get MS, I'd probably 
be in law school right now sitting at a desk, which is great <laughs> for some. <laughs> but I think I'm much happier doing this than like, yeah. Yeah. you know, being oh. in school. Fuck yeah. I love that when people, when, when somebody's, when somebody's obstacle kind of like fuels their sort of like inspiration to, to like find a new, a new path, which is like, which yeah. is, is, ama- is amazingly and, uh, common. Like, I love mm-hmm. that it's common. Like, I love that people go, oh, I went into this, I went this down this path with my school or with my work because of like the disease or the illness, mm-hmm. or whatever that they've dealt with. I think that's yeah. Cool. Like I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have moved like stayed in Peterborough if I didn't get MS. So I wouldn't like be nice and close. Like I get to live nice and close to my brother, my mom, like it's all been good. And that never would have happened if I didn't get this disease. So. Well, Rachel, I got to say uh, your, uh, your attitude, your, your positivity is, is, uh, is pretty infectious. And for someone who's 22 years old, who's dealing with MS to be able to look at the, you know, the cards that you've been dealt the way that you do is uh, is is pretty rad. So, mm-hmm. thank um, you, thank you, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. This has been of a real course. delight. And I do want to say a lot of it comes from you guys. You guys, my dad recommended the podcast like when I was, you know, very much paralyzed and embarrassed of my condition, and he said you need to listen to this podcast. It'll help. You guys definitely have. I've listened for three years ever since ever since I got this disease. So. Uh- uh, that, that, the way that you guys erase the stigma <laughs> does really help. Like you're not embarrassed to have a chronic illness, so like I'm not. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Thank that you. that uh, that really, really, really means a lot. And uh, you just, I think you just made our week with that. So thank you okay. so much. Fuck yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.